1: This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports show. We explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael
2: Bond. I'm Scarlett Fu, and I'm Damian Sascow.
1: The college football national championship game between TCU and Georgia is on Monday, so we're going to wrap up the season and look ahead to what's next for the NCAA. They're welcoming a new president, and we'll talk about what to expect. With Goulston and Stores Sports Law Practice Co Chair and Columbia Adjunct Law Professor Martin Needle. I
3: think the selection of Governor Baker is an inspired choice. He's known for working across the aisle, and right now the NCAA has a number of major issues confronting it for which it, it's it is seeking federal assistance.
1: That is straight ahead on the Bloomberg Business of Sports Show, but we start by welcoming Noel Lamatane who is with the show here. He has joined us a number of times. He's a director at Verdant's Capital Advisors, focusing on high net worth clients, particularly athletes and entertainers. And he has a unique point of view on what those clients are looking for as a former pro NFL athlete himself.
4: Michael, Damien, Scarlett, I appreciate the uh, time. Happy New Year to everybody. And uh, yeah, looking looking forward to the conversation as always.
1: Happy New Year to you. and And... I I guess first, this is one of those weeks when you talk about sports, it's kind of with a a little bit of a a heavy heart and concern because we are very worried about what happened to DeMar Hamlin, the Buffalo Bills safety, uh, suffered a cardiac arrest on the field. I I guess uh, your thoughts about what happened and, and where do you go from here because you used to play, it's like, what, what do you think?
4: First off, it's it's the thoughts and prayers are with, you know, this young man, his, his family, friends, loved ones, teammates, uh, I mean, across the board. I think when you see the, the effect really globally within the sport and within sports in general and society when something like this happens, um, you know, these players, especially in professional football, college football, they're... They're the modern-day gladiators, and any one of these games, there's millions of people watching, and when something like this happens, it's a dose of reality and realistically a reminder of how final things can be in any given moment. Um, you know, it could be a torn ACL. It could be a broken leg. It, it, it God forbid it could be, you know, paralysis or something, but in this in this instance, everybody just – Saw something that has happened so few times uh, on a football field in that type of a uh, environment, in that type of a moment, and you're just you're all you can really do is just hope and pray that um, he continues to improve and is able to return to. A, a, a normal, functional life, and, and the game of football becomes secondary, quite frankly, in a lot of ways in these moments as as he's recovering.
5: I do wonder, though, if you could talk a little bit about how for football players, um, it's a little bit different than from other professional athletes because the economics of football are different from other professional sports, right? You don't have the guaranteed contracts, and the violence and the collision that you have in professional football is different from, say, soccer or even hockey.
4: Certainly, Scarlett, it's a great it's a great point. Certainly, the the guarantees are much more limited um, and much less common. Um, they're becoming more and more common, but not to the degree of other sports, whether it be hockey or baseball, or basketball, soccer. they it, it makes you it makes you realize as a as a player, as somebody advising a player, that you really do have to you have to live in that moment, and you have to look long term and understand that the game can legitimately come to an end for you at any given time. And what have you been able to take from the game? What are you able to carry forward from the game at any given moment? Uh, I think it requires a lot more planning um, and honestly, a lot more of a business sense because you're, you're not always going to have access to that $50 million lump sum that you can, that you can pass on to the rest of your family. You can, You know, pass on to your kids. You can take care of yourself and invest for life. In some cases, you might you might make a few thousand dollars. You might make ten or a hundred thousand dollars, and and that might be the experience that you get from the game of football. And as horrific as it is to think in those terms, given the circumstance like this, it does make you realize all these other all these other factors that are playing in, whether it be the gambling aspect, the fantasy football aspect. Playoffs, other teams. There's this giant bubble that these players operate and play in, and they're just they're such an essential component, but at the same time, they're such a small component. And even the biggest salary in the game is really just such a small component of this multi-billion-dollar machine. And that's where uh, I think the the concept of uh, mortality. Um, not to the extreme degree always, but just the mortality of your, your life within the game and what you can take from it. Uh, y- you really need not just from yourself, but the people around you. You have to appreciate that. And you just have to understand that if you're involved in the game of football, it's it's different than a lot of these other sports. Um, it's not to say that all these other sports aren't aren't as difficult to succeed in and there aren't risks involved, but game of football, uh, there are just some variables, I think, that, that, that do not exist in some of the other sports. And um, if, you, if you hide from them and you don't face them on a day-to-day basis, uh, it, it can really cause a lot of problems down the road.
2: So, Noel, I, let's put our portfolio management hats on for just a minute here. You're going to have a lot of clients, you know, former NFL athletes, former athletes in general, who are going to come to you in the wake of this, and they're going to say, my goodness, you know, emergency fund planning you know a uh, goal targeting in today's day and age in this environment which is so highly uncertain these financial markets are volatile what do you how do you respond to that what do you tell your clients to do where where do they hide where 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 do they get safety from
4: well you know it, it's it's interesting and another great question because I think with a lot of clients and this really this really should be throughout all sports it's not it's not just unique to football but we speak to our clients um uh, Advertence and Verdance Pro a lot about understanding the efficiency and paying yourself first. You need to invest, you need to have strategies that are efficient in, in everything you're doing with every dollar that you're making because you just never truly know how many more paychecks you're gonna get within the sport, how young you're gonna be when you finish playing and when you have to um get to the next phase of your life. And I think what ends up happening is is the 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 expectation that has been spun around sports for so long is oh well just work with people that don't get your money stolen or don't steal your money. Well it's really bigger than that. That's that's everybody who has ever made a dollar and has decided to to invest it or look long term. Nobody wants to get their money stolen. Why is that the baseline for professional athletes? It should really be how do I preserve and grow this wealth over time? I need to look at strategies that mimic the complexity of of the asset level um, that I possess and how do I protect these? What are the different ways that I can do that both structurally um, in some cases it might be risk management uh, you know, that emergency fund that you mentioned it's, it's really just bigger than that. And it's not always looking for uh, the worst case scenario. It's, it's planning beyond all of those scenarios and really looking at how um, you know, how my fee structure is set up. What are the what are the consequences of the investments that I'm getting in? how liquid am I? I really think that from an educational standpoint, this your question can be attacked best by helping these young men and women understand what the true value of the dollars that they're making is and how that how that value can be preserved and built over time.
1: You bring up a question to young athletes. And when I saw it, it made me really want to just sit back and, and meditate on this question. Why is it important to understand the concept between life-changing money versus life-altering money? And when I first read that, I'm like, well, what's the difference? But of course, you know, I've I'm a I'm a dull man. It's and, a couple million but, bucks, Michael. Yeah, I, I, it really is, <laughs> and and it, it's you know a, if there is a difference. Can you take us through that?
4: Yeah, and it, it, you know honestly, Michael, it's going to be different for everyone, and that's again where you you have to look at the concept of the individuality. Look at the look at the person, look at the client, find out what they need, find out what they want, what are they trying to accomplish. Not just what are they trying to accomplish in and around the game that they're playing in this in this context, but what they're trying to accomplish in their life. And anytime you start focusing on life, and again, we're we're long-term thinkers in our offices and when we when we sit down with clients. So yes, these people are doing tremendous things in their careers. Maybe they're a business owner, maybe they're working towards a liquidity event. We look at athletes and entertainers in that same exact light that they are entrepreneurs, they are business owners. But once they go through those events, what comes next? And regardless of the size of those, those events, how does that pool of money that you have made, whether it be in a moment or over time, how does that project into the future based on what your goals and, and, and what your plans are? And and really, it's the concept of being rich versus being wealthy. That's That's what you're speaking to. I make this decision because I have a pool of money in my bank account and I decide to buy this car or I decide to jump into this alternative investment because I trust my buddy and it and it makes sense. I mean look at the look at the crypto bubble, for goodness sakes. I mean, right. these guys that were taking salaries in cryptocurrency and in the moment they were riding the wave of the future, but they were doing it from really uh they didn't have the education to make that decision. I don't mean that they weren't smart people. I'm saying that they didn't have the education into the financial vehicle that they were investing in. And what are those long-term consequences? In the moment, it feels great. It feels sexy. Somebody sold it to me. and Oh, this, you know, I don't want to miss this wave. You know, the whole YOLO, you only live once type of concept. Well, all of those things add up over time. And when you're done playing, when you're done you know, in the entertainment space, if you're a business owner and you sold your company and you want to go into retirement, all you have is what you've made. And in some cases you've got to understand that it's not enough. It's not enough where along the way you could spend in you know, all these different frivolous ways. You could you could lock up your money in these certain products or, or vehicles that that really pay everybody else first and you last and you don't get the growth that you could if it was something that was more efficiently structured or, or maybe structured more towards um, helping you and benefiting you versus benefiting somebody else. And I think really, again, that falls back on the the, the character and the approach of the advisor and the people that, that all of these individuals are surrounding themselves with. And again, we're speaking specifically to athletes and entertainers. This is This is a a global concept everybody could benefit from getting great advice i mean i don't think i'm reinventing the wheel and making that statement um but that is something that's lost in in the sports and entertainment world mm. because they spend so much time focusing on on being the best that they can be on the field or in their arena that they lose sight of what long-term benefits they could gain or they right. are trying to gain You know, it's about visibility versus substance. And I think if the focus was really more on substance um, and, you know, honestly, being able to see exactly the situation that you are in financially in a very, very transparent way so that you understand all the investments, you understand the ramifications of of putting a dollar here versus putting a dollar there. Who's getting paid? Who's making money off of of this investment in what way? those Those are the things that really need to be harped on. and it, it is moments you know it is moments like this that really need to ripple forward, not just in that in that horrific moment where people are worried about not just the life and career of this young man, uh, and others are worried about, oh, how is this going to affect my fantasy football championship game they need to they need to worry about, well, what happens if this is it? Yeah. What yeah. happens, what happens to kids? What happens to significant others? What happens to, you know, that long-term generational wealth concept. Right. Um, and that's, that's, I think something that all of the good, the most immediate good would be health and recovery and maybe God willing, being able to get back on the, uh, on the field and playing again, and how tremendous that could be. But maybe this is a moment where everybody else can take a step back and look and say, Hey, it's not just about me potentially getting injured. It's me losing everything. And right. why should I only look at losing everything in a moment where I get injured? I should look at losing everything every, every single day.
0: The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg.
5: Let me just jump in here for a moment. You make some really good points. And I wonder, by the time these professional athletes are asking these questions and looking to advisors like you to help them um, formulate some structure in their perspective, in their investment perspective... I'm curious about what the level of financial literacy they come into you before they get to you. What does that look like? What level of financial literacy have they achieved already before they come over and start talking to an advisor like you? What does the League and Players Union's efforts look like to give them that base uh, level of understanding now versus what should it look like?
4: Scarlett, you could you could put me on a very high soapbox with this question. Um, But, uh, and I could, uh, we could, we could set up a whole podcast series on it. But honestly, the simple answer is not enough. There's not enough. It it is very individualized. You do have, you do have people who come into these relationships more sophisticated than others. However, there is such a learning curve to go from uh, working your butt off from whatever your circumstances were going through high school, college, and now you're, now you're in the pros or or in, in Hollywood and you're, and you're making it big to, this isn't just about budgeting. It's not just about, you know, investing in an IRA and savings retirement. This is, this is about investing in businesses. This is about investing in all different types of financial products. It's about analyzing fee structures. It's, there is a lot that goes into this, and there are very, very successful business people that all they do are look at numbers and look at spreadsheets and look at P&Ls, and they don't get it right. So if that's their world, and they're not getting it right in a lot of cases, imagine if this is just secondary at best to what you do. Even if you're an econ major in college or, or you, you study finance, you still only learn the textbook concepts, you know, the the things that are able to be absorbed and then regurgitated in the, in the academic environment in college. You're not learning real-world contractual concepts and what language does and how it affects, you know, your money. So, unfortunately, Scarlett, it's, it's not enough education. Uh, the league and the players' union, I think they're honestly – in a lot of in almost all cases across professional sports they're operating to a to a baseline a CYA they're trying to make sure hey these individuals as far as we're aware they're not criminals we're not telling you to work with them but we're not telling you not to work with them if you do it's at your discretion they're paying us a fee in order for us to go through this process of verifying them And what does that even mean? What does that even do? Every single year, we have these stories about these these professionals who do all these malicious things to these athletes and entertainers, and the system doesn't change. And that can be a financial advisor. It can be an agent who's negotiating contracts. It can be a business manager who is attaching a player to to a financial person, to an insurance salesman. The system is nowhere near as specific as it needs to be. And the problem, I think, in a lot of ways is it's not just that it's not just that it's difficult for, for general public to find good advice. It's difficult for these players unions to come together, the, the, you know, these sports organizations to come together and say, hey, listen, these people are really, really good at what they do because they don't even know in a lot of cases who's really good at what they're doing within that space. And so, Noel, take,
2: that really kind of takes me full circle back to my original question. You know, Verdant's Capital Advisors, you know, you had wealth management, OCIO, all that stuff. I mean, what is Megan Horniman, your CIO, telling your clients to do from a strategic asset allocation decision? I mean, is now the time to buy bonds? Are you going to be overweight equities? Do you want to take more risk in this environment? Do you want to peel back? I mean, what do you what's your gut tell you?
4: Well, getting into, I mean, getting into specifics is, is obviously, uh, uh, you know, a little bit, but what I can say is, is that in those, in those instances, it's about sitting down with the client individually and helping them understand exactly the situation they're in. It's about looking at the investments that they're in. How are they performing? Why are they performing in that manner? When you're taking a three to five, 10, 15 year type uh, look horizon on the investments and the strategies you're looking beyond these athletic careers in most cases, you know, unless you're talking to a a very, very gifted uh, young player, that's you're looking at time horizons well beyond career. So you're already talking about long-term concepts. And that's, that's where I think, you know, the idea of, you know, if I spend $50,000 on a car right now, what could that $50,000, cash allotment mean to myself and my family in five years, 10 years, 15 years? If I didn't buy this car, do I really need this? How do I protect it and grow it and build it? And I think it is dangerous too to look at at any one specific situation and say, well, this is going to work for everybody. And that's where, again, I think the transparency comes in is that you have to, and this is something that, you know, Megan, all of us, at Verdon's on is that you have to show the client everything. You can't leave them in the dark. That's the educational process. And if you do that, you can help them ask the question that might prevent them from making a mistake in the future. You know, they might not know exactly what to do and they might know that they have to come to you in order to get more clarity or, or more details on any one given thing, but at least if they're equipped with some defense mechanisms, that, that can prevent them from committing to something or, or God forbid, having actually a transfer. I mean, listen, professional sports, if you want to tie the two together, it's as risky, if not dramatically more risky than, than any market or any investment out there. You know, the potential for loss, as we learned, you know, with, with the Monday night football game, the risk can be absolute. Um, so why would you ever couple that with, the way that you're investing money? Why would you put yourself into a situation where there is a high degree of risk, where there is the potential to lose that money? So that's, I think a very um, non-committal way of, of trying to answer your question is that you really do have to, you have to be specific. You have to be deliberate. You have to, you have to speak to the client in such a way where they understand the long term value of the advice that you're giving to help them understand the questions to ask, and the things to do to put those walls up around the money that they are making so that they can build that wealth long-term in our experience. That's what very successful individuals do. They, they surround themselves not with people that they can just go in and say, Oh, you know, I trust this person. I trust this person. It's, it's not about trust. It's about imparting knowledge. It's about always trying to make sure that, um, every single stone is on, you know, is, is turned up and and looked under. And, you know, if if we can start to help these athletes understand the value of that and not just taking advice on the surface, you know, to ask those more in-depth questions and demand more education, demand more knowledge on the subject. I think that that's a big start. Um, and, and really, you know, I, I do think it, it requires more than just a baseline, send in a fee, send in an application. Okay. You've never been arrested for securities fraud. You're good. You must be really, really good because it, that, that just isn't cutting it anymore. And unfortunately that's really where we're at. We're just a, you know, it's just a, it's just a fee based certification and you know what that fee does and where that fee even goes. I don't, nobody even knows. And again, that's, that's a very frustrating, uh, that's a very frustrating topic for us because you know, we see it, we see the ramifications of a lot of these decisions that are being made. And when we might get involved with a client, we, we have to help unwind these things And you have to have the hard conversation and explain, Hey, this is what risk is. You're not getting that money back because of what, what this person puts you into. And those can sometimes be harder, harder conversations than your career is coming to an end or your career is over. And this is, this is what you got. I mean, because there you're dealing with the career coming to an end, but, well, the fruits of my labor, I've lost that too. And, you know, the emotional and mental strain that comes from that, um, you know, that's, that's again, that's a whole other topic, but equally as difficult.
1: Noah LaMontagne, he is the director at Verdance Capital Advisors and, again, that life-changing money versus life-altering money uh, you gave me so much to to school my 18 year old son about life-altering money you can trade that rusty mustang of yours and get a brand new subaru uh life-changing money you can park that subaru in your mansion garage so i uh, i hope i got the order right <laughs> so <laughs> they both
4: require they both require a tremendous amount of work so yeah <laughs> that's, the, that's that's the other key and um you know it's not just work on the field or in the classroom it's it's, it's work on yourself, and it's work on the people around you, and um, it's definitely uh, definitely something that we need to continue to work to change, Michael.
1: No, thank you again, and thank you for being part of the Bloomberg Business of Sports. We appreciate it. Up next on the show, we catch up with a longtime friend of the show, Marty Edel. Co-chair of Goulston and Stores Sports Law Practice. We're going to talk to him about some of the major sports headlines, including NFL Player Safety, the new NCAA president, and more. That's straight ahead on Bloomberg Business of Sports. I'm Michael Barr. You can follow me on Twitter at Big Bar Sports.
5: And I'm on Twitter at Scarlet Foo, And you
2: can follow me at Hours.
1: And don't forget to catch our podcast. That's Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays on all your podcast platforms. And right here on Bloomberg Business of Sports, Bloomberg Radio. this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports Show. We explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr.
5: I'm Scarlett Foo.
1: And I'm Damian Sassauer. Let's welcome our next guest. He's a longtime friend of the show, Marty Edel. He's co-chair of Goulston & Storrs Sports Law Practice, a firm recognized as one of the very best in the U.S. He's also an adjunct professor of law at Columbia University.
5: So we've got a ton to talk about with Marty. We're gonna throw a lot of hypotheticals this way. We know that the college football championship game is Monday and it wraps up their season. So now we really start looking forward to the future for the NCAA, especially as they now welcome a new president, the governor of Massachusetts, Charlie Baker.
3: The challenge is significant, but the possibilities and the opportunities if we are successful are enormous. And I'm very honored and grateful for this chance to serve.
5: Governor Baker speaking at his virtual introductory press conference as the next NCAA president.
2: We also want Marty's perspective on some big sports headlines recently from athletes involved in the FTX fallout to player safety in the NFL.
1: So let's dive right in. Marty, welcome back to the Bloomberg Business of Sports.
3: Well, it's it's great to be with all of you again. Happy New Year. And I look forward to talking about top of mind
1: issues well, we got, we've got a lot of issues to talk about. I, I, I don't know where to start. Let, let's start, first of all, uh, we got a brand new president of the NCAA coming in, Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker. Uh, what do you think he will bring to the table?
3: Well, I, I think the selection of Governor Baker is an inspired choice. He's known for working across the aisle. And right now the NCAA has a number of major issues confronting it for which it, it's, it is seeking federal assistance, uh, by Congress. So assuming, uh, the House selects a speaker, uh, by March.
5: <laughs> Big and, assumption.
3: Uh, gov- <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, Governor Baker will be there talking about such things as the distinction between amateur and professionalism in amateurism and professionalism in college sports and the recurring issue of NIL, name, image and likeness uh, in college sports. Um, In particular, if I if I can just go on till you want to cut me off or pepper me with questions. (laughs) So on the first one, amateurism versus professionalism. Uh, What we know from the Supreme Court decision uh, a little over a year and a half ago in um, Alston is that the court agreed with the argument that the NCAA presented that the NCAA is an amateur athletic grouping, uh, that this is important for its fan base, this is important for its sponsors, this is important for it to receive broadcasting revenue. But now this is being turned on its head. Um, what are you going to do about paying college athletes beyond the educational stipend, beyond other educational benefits? Uh, we see the uh, National Labor Relations Board now seeking to say that maybe college athletes should be subject to its jurisdiction. We have a case, um, in what's called the third circuit which is pennsylvania and some of the surrounding states there uh which say that maybe college athletes uh should be paid a fair wage as other employees once they become employees do they lose their amateur status and what happens then to this whole argument about college athletes being distinct from professional athletes uh sort of turns the world on its head, and I think this is a major, major issue for Governor Baker to confront. Um, the second one is, as we have discussed many times before, is name, image, and likeness. It's still a wild, wild west out there. The NCAA has said has, and has in its constitution that colleges and universities cannot get involved in the endorsement contracts yet we see headlines saying certain college athletes are getting endorsement contracts through their schools. Where is that line being drawn? You have 50 states, 50 different NIL laws, um, and one of the challenges for Governor Baker will be to see if we can get a uniform set of laws, perhaps enacted by the federal government, if Congress ever gets together again
5: okay and i think that's an important point um because the reality is that it's very likely congress will end up doing nothing when it comes to these issues (laughs) there's a big to-do list so the status quo will likely prevail for a while what does that status quo look like in six months in one year time
3: so great question scarlett um right now you have division one schools all over the place in terms of what they're doing They've gone to a system of what they call collectives, as I'm seeing out there. And what collectives are, are either for-profit or not-for-profit entities that will assist college athletes in getting endorsement deals. Uh, but nobody knows what this looks like, and sometimes uh, these collectives are so poorly structured that If they're lucky, they return a couple of hundred dollars to a football athlete or a basketball player, um, which is well below what the expectational value was. Uh, How are you going to get the colleges and universities involved without violating NCAA rules? There are ways to do this, but most of these collectives are fairly short-sighted in how they look at it.
2: Marty, I, I want to switch gears a little bit here. I have to ask you about this. It's been all over the news. I don't know how closely you're following it. Sam Bankman Fried, the end of crypto, FTX. You know, we've had athletes like Tom Brady and Steph Curry who have been paid by FTX to market for them. We've had athletes like Patrick Mahomes, who have listed NFTs, you know, out there for all the world to buy and sell and, you know, made however many millions, maybe placing it in the pocket of somebody like Sam bakeman fried who may have been manipulating, who knows? So my question to you is how, I mean, what comes next with, you know, athletes who are, you know, their brands and how they can get involved with something like this, like crypto, an unknown entity? I mean, where does it end and what sort of liabilities are there?
3: So a great question, Damian, which I don't know that much, uh, but let me tell you at least the bounds of what I do understand there. Um, It's really going to be difficult to tell a professional athlete in particular, hey, don't go forward with a potential opportunity that's going to pay you potentially hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, uh, just because there may be some liability down the road, or we don't know what the contours of this may be. Um, you know, NFPs are, NFTs are one great example, as opposed to crypto, which I think there have been, for crypto at least, there have been sufficient warnings out there about getting involved. Uh, but NFTs are things that athletes have embraced. Do they understand the risk? Do their agents understand the risk? Do they care about the risks? I haven't seen a lot of understanding out there. You know, our NFT securities and governed by the federal securities laws. Right. This is a constantly evolving area where to the extent athletes see a, or their agents see a get rich quick scheme, they're going to jump into it. And- they're going to find potential liability there, uh, as we're now seeing with uh, potentially Tom Brady and Steph Curry. And somehow this their image may be tarnished as a result. Uh, I don't see legislation coming down here, uh, but I do see potential court cases uh, which will impact these athletes in ways they hadn't foreseen before.
1: There is a topic, of course, that is rather somber, and it happened in the Monday night football game. Uh, Demar Hamlin, he was on a tackle, and it was a normal tackle from T. Higgins. I mean, it wasn't anything dirty about it. Uh, And then uh, Hamlin stood up, and then he collapsed on the field, Uh, and he's trying to recover right now. First your thoughts about that. And second, I guess this is a little hard now about any players, legal rights in the NFL about something like this, not only this, but about concussions as well. Good question. Yeah.
3: So those, those are wonderful, wonderful questions. And, you know, first for DeMar Hamlin, just everyone's heart has to go out to him. Uh, What a tragedy this is. Mm. Could it have been avoided? I don't, No, football is a violent game. And no matter how much others may say we've we've taken all the necessary precautions, it still is violent. Uh, I mean, I'm old enough to remember, I guess it was when Joe Theismann's leg was broken in a game with the Giants. And the game wasn't stopped as it was appropriately here with DeMar Hamlin.
1: Well, I I remember the game, forgive me, I remember the game and it it involved Detroit Lions player Chuck Hughes. And this was back in like the the early 70s when they used to play at the old Tiger Stadium. And uh, he was just simply running a a pass route and collapsed and he died and they continued on with the game. Now, I I don't know if you want to say, well, it was a different time and this, that, whatever. But (laughs) I mean, it's thank goodness I think things have changed, Marty.
3: Yeah, I, I think that's right, Michael. Thank goodness they have changed. And the NFL has tried to be proactive in doing things. And let's segue over from a one off situation like what happened with DeMar Hamlin. Uh, you know, I don't know that that's readily recognizable before. Um, you know, did he have a pre existing heart condition? I don't know. Should that have been You know, could that have been disclosed? Could that have been discovered? Again, I don't know. But the other point that you raise about the concussion, the NFL has taken a lot of steps. They have their five-step protocol now. According to the NFL, this has resulted in mitigating the severity of concussions, uh, if not the number. It doesn't seem to, the numbers seem to be rather high. I think it's well over 100 concussion injuries this season. Um, but that doesn't get rid of the problem that just treats the problem that currently exists. People get hit with helmets. Okay. So you say now you can't hit a player below a certain part of his body with your helmet. Um, that can't be observed except in the breach. You know, if if you're running down the field and you see another player there and you want to tackle them, you're going to go out and tackle. Sometimes your helmet's going to get in the way. So what I don't know, but an area for inquiry here is what is the NFL and and the teams doing to improve the safety of the equipment? Uh, You know, are the is the padding sufficient? Um, You know, when do you call a player down? Uh, You know, we see these tackles where suddenly it's sort of a free-for-all and you have seven, eight players in on the tackle. Does that increase the risk of injury? Part of the problem here is also the question of insurance. Right. You know, it seems that, at least from a 30,000 feet up perspective, if the league and the teams can ensure their players against loss of services, um, they're going to have less incentive to create better defensive mechanisms to prevent the problem rather than just to ameliorate it.
0: The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at com. Marty, I'm going
2: to step in here and ask the question that Scarlett's been dying to ask you. Um, you know, it, it has to do with the New York Mets here. It has to do with Carlos Correa. Um, you know, you, you, I need you to draw on your experience in employment disputes and remediation and protections for injury because I think it's these uh, surgically repaired ankle of Carlos that's kind of holding things up here. And when I say holding things up, we're talking three hundred fifty million over twelve years. I mean, what are your thoughts with here? I mean,
5: teams don't, nonetheless,
2: <laughs> um, which no one can pay him, by the way, um, except Stevie. So, what are your thoughts here? Where are we in that process? In your opinion, you're not being in you know the bedroom with with obviously all parties. You know, where, where do you? think we are
3: my knowledge is what I read in in the papers here Carlos Correa had a deal with the Giants it was subject to a medical examination he flunked it because of this pre-existing injury the Giants did not seem to want to go forward with I think it was 350 million over 13 years and Steve Cohen and the Mets jumped into the fray uh, potentially wonderfully for all Mets fans Uh, saying, you know, we'll give you 12 years at $315 million. Uh, But again, subject to a medical exam, which they probably knew what the outcome would be at the time they wrote this in. He seems to have flunked the medical exam with the Mets also. And then from what I read is there the contract will be done, but there'll be lots of bells and whistles. Well, all those bells and whistles will go towards Who's going to assume the risk of injury? How much, if there is a subsequent injury, how much of that will be covered by insurance so the Mets won't take a hit on $315 million (laughs) over 12 years? You know, I can go into the insurance question a bit more, but it seems to me that's really what's um, guiding this discussion.
5: I'd like to get your take also on why you think we've seen so many long-term contracts. I mean... Years ago, people would be aghast at the possibility of nine, 10, 11 year contracts. Now these seem to be the norm. What's, what's driving it in your mind, and how tied is it to what we're seeing in the economy with inflation rising?
3: So, great question, Scarlett, but we have different timelines, you and I. So, years ago, when I was young, <laughs> uh, <laughs> players, were, players were reserved to their team for life. And then we had this wonderful thing called free agency, which came about in the 1970s in baseball, and now players can negotiate deals. So if that focusing on the timeline that we now have, why are they getting longer ones? I It seems to me it's an inflation-driven phenomenon. You know, A-Rod signed a long-term deal at $27.5 million per year. Well, by the end of his career, $27.5 million— was a large amount for a baseball player, but wasn't the top amount. So in a sense, what owners are doing are saying is, look, if we go out to the end of a long-term deal, maybe we can have a couple of phenomenon happen. One is inflation will catch up and salary inflation will also catch up, so we're not gonna be overpaying. Uh, Second is there's the possibility the player won't last that long because of injuries. And then we get insurance recoveries as well, which will mitigate the amount. Uh, and third is, of course, they could see about trading the player if the player is performing at a particular level and another team wants that player. Doesn't seem to be the case with the Yankees and Stanton, though.
2: We're going to have the NCAA college football championship coming up. We're going to have the Horn Frogs. We're going to have the Bulldogs. We're going to have minus twelve and a half, a sixty-two and a half over under. We're going to have sports betting. It's one of the biggest events in sports gambling each and every year. Curious to hear your thoughts on the evolution of uh, the sports betting market, you know, where we're at. And and quite frankly, if you see going forward some 5, 10, 15, however many years, into, and what do you see? Do you see any lasting damages, any, any potential for litigation down the road against some of these sports books?
3: Yes and yes. Um, so this is another big ticket issue for Governor Baker. Most schools outlaw betting. And that doesn't stop most students from engaging in Fan Duels and DraftKings and participating in that. Like, does that violate most schools' uh, anti-gambling rules? Yes, it does. So we're going to have to come to some accommodation sort of to bring this out of the closet um, and have open, I think, open betting, uh, you know, be it through a lottery. And there are a number of lotteries that, have what I would call gambling on outcomes. You could have the current system, FanDuel's DraftKings uh, with students participating, which of course raises the level of interest uh, in the sport. But gambling being in the closet, uh, if you will, creates a terrible problem under most states laws, which prohibit gambling creates a problem for a lot of schools, which prohibit gambling vice. And has always the possibility of taking us back into the uh, early days of sports where gambling created enormous problems. Go back to the, what was it? The 1951 NCAA finals, Mm -hmm. uh, where there was gambling on, was it LIU's, um, or CCNY's, uh, outcome, um, Jack Molinas, a star player for Columbia in the early 50s, started throwing games uh, when he got into the pro, shave by shaving points. You can't have those phenomenon continue. So the question is, how do we create a system to deal with that? And will there be potential liability? Sure. From students who want to participate by colleges who want to prohibit and will need some type of jurisdictional evaluation either by state legislatures or the federal legislature.
1: Well, now that brings up – I'm going totally off the board here, but you, it, it comes back to what, what I'm getting at. Uh, and you said back in the day when you talked about gambling and sports, you know, people did not like it. Pete Rose, he's not in the Hall of Fame today because he gambled on baseball. But this was before you had all the online sites and, and all this and that. I just wonder now, have we hit a point with a Pete Rose where it's like, okay, let, let's forgive the guy uh, because he didn't bet against his team.
3: Oh, I think the jury is out as to whether or not he bet against um, his team on that. But putting that aside for a moment, at least uh, – <laughs> As long as you have the athletes actively engaged in gambling or engaged in gambling, you have the possibility of games being rigged. That can't be the outcome. So how do you devise a system where you allow the athletes to engage in these public phenomena, band duels, DraftKings, and not worry about the outcome of their particular mm-hmm. Match or game, you know. Can you have a rule, for example, that says athletes you can bet on an outcome, uh, but it can't involve your team? Doesn't go hundred percent because everybody is looking at standing and saying, "Well, if this team wins by this much, then maybe we qualify or don't qualify for a playoff." But you can get closer to a better result.
1: See, this is where we just need to sit down with some martinis and talk with Marty uh, about just because we could just we could go on and on and on. Marty, you are the man. You always put the knowledge on us, and we so much appreciate it. Marty Edel, friend of the show, he is co-chair of Gulston and Stewart's Sports Law Practice, also adjunct professor of law at Columbia University. Marty. You are the man. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bloomberg Business of Sports.
3: It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me, and Happy New Year to all three of
1: you. This has been the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast. I'm Michael Barr, along with Scarlett Foo and Damian Sassauer. Catch us here each and every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday, exploring the world of money and sports. And catch me on Twitter at Big Barr Sports,
5: and you can find me on Twitter at Scarlett Fu,
1: and I'm
2: on Twitter at D
1: You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio around the world.